Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, you know, I buy things when they're delivered, they come in absolutely loads of packaging. Yeah. Well, is it all necessary? I mean, that, you know, it's a sort of thing that, you know, we can engage with companies on and, and try and help them steer them in the right direction for the greater good. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money, and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. On this episode, we're going to talk about a hot topic and a big buzzword that's going on at the moment, and that is sustainability. Uh, We hear a lot about the climate crisis and the impact global warming will have on our natural resources and essentially our own lives. And um, political leaders are due to discuss the climate challenge at the COP26 meeting in November. And the United Nations has scarily warned that action needs to be taken fast to avert a climate disaster. But there's also action that we as individuals can take by living more sustainably. And Josh and I are joined by Vince Smith-Hughes for this episode. He is the head of business development for Prudential. And we're going to chat about some research that they've done and the work that the company's doing in this area. So thanks for joining us, Vince. Not at all, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So shall we start with you? Um, done some research into sustainability and how the public are approaching it. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, the thing I like about this research, it sort of, I think, gives a, a realistic picture of, you know, where people's views are in terms of sustainability. So uh, a sort of few stats for you. So uh, 61% of Brits will spend more money on goods and services they know are ethical or sustainable. Um, but quite interestingly, but I guess not surprisingly, uh, the percentage of people spending more on ethical and sustainable products rises in line with income. So uh, of those with a pre-tax personal income of £20,000, for example, 54% are spending more to shop sustainably. Uh, that goes to 66% for uh, those earning between 20 and 40,000 uh, and 74% for those earning between 40 and, and 60,000 um, pounds. So, you know, it's you can see it's actually going up uh, between 60 and 100,000 pounds. It's 82%. So whilst obviously people will have a desire uh, to purchase goods and services they know are sustainable, clearly there's an element of what income people are earning as well. So how, how would you define sustainability? So uh, I think I would decide, uh, define it as uh, someone who's looking at, you know, uh, what goods and services they're purchasing, what they're actually doing to live sustainably, looking at the community and the planet. So, you know, it might be, for example, if you're talking about goods and services, uh, you know, buying organic goods, it's maybe buying something with the uh, the leaf motive on foods. So people know that they're doing something which is contributing sort of to a, a sustainable planet, if you like. And so based on your research there then, do you have to be rich to live sustainably? I don't think you have to be rich. Uh, I mean, to put a number on it, um, 
the report found that it costs an average uh, of just under £52 a month uh, to actually make sustainable choices. Now, you know, I think that's a reasonable sum of money, certainly a reasonable sum of money for, for many people. Um, you know, it's saying that one in five say they simply can't afford to make, uh, pay for the, the green goods, if you like. Um, younger folks are happy to pay more. So typically those in the 25 to 35 age range, um, which I guess is kind of expected uh, what's expected. Um, interestingly, though, it's parents of kids who are under 18. Maybe there's a bit of pressure coming up there who are spending the most. And typically that's over £90 a month uh, compared with the average of just over uh, over 50. So, you know, I guess that puts a number on it. And you can see that it's not easy for everybody to just make that choice. But why, why do you think it is more expensive? Well, I, I think if you're, you know, if you're looking at the basket of goods you might normally uh, expect to purchase, let's say, uh, on your weekly groceries, you know, there are, there's a lot of options now, you know, as I mentioned earlier, around sort of like organic choices, for example. But typically, they are more expensive. And, you know, with a level playing field, people probably would go elect to, to, to have organic food or, as I said, something with the, the, the leaf motive. Um, but as they tend to be more expensive, reality also kicks in, um, which perhaps means that people can't afford to do so. And, I mean, do you think it's something that companies should be working on, like, when I go into my local supermarket, there's, I don't know, apples wrapped in lots of layers of plastic and all these sort of plastic bags. Is that, it should there be more that companies are doing to force people to go sustainable? Yeah, absolutely right. So uh, obviously, uh, Peru is a, a big investment house um, and we invest in a lot of companies and we are continually talking to uh, the companies we invest in about the sustainable choices they make and how they can improve that. And you know, I think that's sort of twofold, really. It's it's obviously it's great for the environment, but also I think there's a a lot of the choices that companies are making will actually make them a more sound investment. You know, we find out about more about the company and we can help point them in the right direction, should we say? Okay. Um, so yeah, we should come back to that in a minute. I wanted to talk also about I think about the way I what I sort of do sustainably, and we've got, for instance, an electric car, a hybrid car, so we have to charge that. But then at the moment, electric, electric prices are going through the roof. So on the one hand, we're trying to live sustainably, but then we have to balance the cost of our, of our electricity bill now. Like how, how big a factor do you think the cost should be for people? Well, I mean, ultimately, of course, you know, people have got to live their lives. So let's be realistic about this. We, we, we can't sort of throw everything out, the baby out with the bathwater to the extent that, you know, we're not doing what we need to do to go and live normal lives but you know i think uh, electricity is an interesting one because you know we would for example invest in companies that uh, are providing sustainable electricity and that for me is already moving to electric vehicles for example but i think a big part of that it's not just that the building of electric vehicles people buying electric vehicles you know we've got to move to more sustainable um modes of sort of like fueling the, the vehicles uh, as well and um from from a sort of investment point of view and among Prue's clients, how much demand do you think there is for sustainable investment? Well, it's it's the demand is really growing. So to give you some stats from the, the research, uh, nearly half of the families have discussed environmental, social and governance investments. I'll shorten that in the future to ESG uh, with their financial advisor, which shows, you know, it's really growing and there is a real interest in it. Um, two in five families uh, will increase where they invest in uh, ESG investment or 
annual investments over the next five years. So, again, uh, a real positive there. Um, but then also, you know, the research showed that over a third um, have no idea where they're investing at the moment. So still quite a lot of work to, uh, to actually be maintained, I think. And Josh, do you have much demand among clients for sustainable investments? Surprisingly little. Um, I read a lot about it and there's a lot in the papers and uh, you hear it on the radio, but very few clients actively say to me, I want to make sure my investments are ethical and sustainable. I think uh, the priority for people is obviously securing their financial future and investment performance seems to be more important to people than um, the sustainability. And I think that might be because I think there's ethical investments and there's unethical investments and sustainable, and there's the bit in the middle, which is is nothing. So you've got the things that are very unethical, like you're not going to invest in drugs and child trafficking and things like that. And you've got the very ethical at the other end, it's investing in helping the homeless and and uh, organic food. But you've got all the stuff that maybe crosses over both that doesn't have a title and people are just happy to to invest in that. Yeah, I'd agree, Josh. I mean, you mentioned there that, you know, people's uh, focus is on securing their financial security. Uh, And absolutely, you know, why wouldn't it be? Um, You know, clearly that's always going to be someone's absolute prerogative. And, um, you know, I I would always say don't let the ESG tail wag the investment objectives dog, if you know what I mean. People have got to sort of stay focused on where they want to get to. Um, But I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Uh, so, for example, if you look at sort of some of the, the companies, uh, some of the funds that you can invest in from a, a sustainable perspective, you know, all, all the research, all the pointers are saying these are good investments in their own right. And, and you know, why wouldn't they be? And they can generate return. And, and, and we sort of think that if you look over the longer term, there needn't actually be a financial penalty in investing in these type of funds. You know, we don't think there is a a case for saying, well, they're going to underperform because they're obviously limiting the number of investments. We think the attractiveness of the investments that we're making will actually more than make up for that. So, you know, we're very bullish about these being good investments in their own right. It's it's very risky this just becomes a marketing term, though, because there's no sort of regulatory definition of ESG. Yes, is there? Well, I think there's work for green labels and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, you know, as far as a, a financial advisors, obviously, like Josh, um, are concerned, the in the UK, uh, there is no sort of hard and fast set of principles. Interestingly, there is in Europe, um, where they're, uh, they have got a, a very definitive set of rules, but it's yet to get to the UK. I've got to be honest, I think that's probably only a matter of time, given the actual momentum that's behind it. You know, I think those rules will come in. So if you are advising someone, that's some of the questions you need to ask. Um, so I think it's coming, but you're right at the moment. It's not here yet, just yet. Do funds need to be labelled as sustainable or ESG if companies are eventually going to have to move towards a net zero economy anyway? And if everyone's, if we're moving towards a decarbonised economy and there's going to be I think there's also moves for companies to report their climate risks, that sort of thing, for listed companies to report climate risks. So if that's all happening anyway, do we need ESG funds or shouldn't this should just be reflected in investments? 
I think it's a uh, it's a really good question, to be honest, Mark, because, you know, at the moment we're talking about ESG investing as if it's sort of something which is uh, sort of new, if you like. Uh, and to a certain extent, you know, it is. Having said that, you know, we've been embedding a lot of these principles in our overall investment mantra for a, a, a long time. But I do think you're right. You know, give it to a few more years. You know, you won't have ESG investment funds, it will just be the norm because that's what everybody will be focused on. You know, all, all of these things will be taken into account when, you know, whatever fund you're actually looking to invest in, um, it will simply just become the norm and the way to do things. And absolutely, that's the way it should be. What might be nice to see is uh, when you look at fund fact sheets at the moment, there's a lot of uh, companies that, that give out ratings, Morningstar being one, and it might give it a five-star rating or an A rating or whatever it is. And perhaps rather than having to have specific ethical funds, maybe there'd be an ethical rating standard that says this fund is rated uh, 10 out of 10, this one is 1 out of 10, so, so that you can have any investment you want and you can see the ethical rating of it or the ESG rating of it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree, Josh. Whatever we've come up with, as you sort of suggest, it's got to be something which is is simple. Um, and, you know, if at the moment, and again, a very sort of simple way of measuring it, some people would be saying, actually, my investment objective is absolutely key. I'm not too fussed where I invest. Um, and in which case, obviously, it's down to, to us as investment managers to sort of make sure that, you know, we're, we're not doing undue harm. So, you know, clearly that's one criteria, avoiding the bad, if you like. But then, of course, the other side of that is, uh, you know, investing to, to, for, on a sustainable basis, you know, investing to actually find solutions to help some of the planet's problems, let's put it that way. Um, so there is various stages that, uh, you know, people can look at various things that they may want or may not want in their portfolio. Um, but I, I do sort of like go back to my main point. I think we are all heading towards a sort of single point where, you know, this is just taken into account by pretty much all investment managers. And what 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 about the pre practically? What what are you doing as a business to be more sustainable? Well, quite a bit really. So uh if you look at Pru is now part of uh, MNG PLC. Um and as a business, we're committed to putting sustainability pretty much at the heart of absolutely everything we do. So uh, as a business, we set ourselves some pretty ambitious targets, I would say, including a commitment to being carbon net zero by 2030 at the latest. So that's us as a business. Uh, in terms of uh, the investment portfolios we have, we're looking to achieve carbon net zero investment portfolios by 2050. And we've got a 10-step a uh, sustainability plan, which is sort of printed and you can go and read it on our website, uh, which actually will set it out. So we've got the road, uh, so we know what the road is and how to, to actually get there. Um, also, uh, for UK savers, in July, we launched a, a range of funds called our Proof on Planet range, which is basically a people and planet focused version of our existing market leading smooth investment solution. And I guess with these funds, they're designed to meet a sort of real need that advisors have with clients, um, and particularly for those in the run-up to or at retirement, um, where they're looking for a smooth investment journey, and they do want to make that difference I spoke about to the planet without sacrificing their expected investment return. And I sort of uh, basically highlight that bit at the end, I think, because as I said, this sort of investment, it doesn't mean to say that you are going to have to sacrifice some investment return. We think they're great investments in their own right. Is there any difference um, from your point of view in the charges to the end consumer if they're in a planet fund or a, a normal fund? It's it's, the, it's a good, great question, Josh, and it's the actual same charge. So, uh, you know, the annual management charge, the cost of buying into the uh, the investment product is the same whether you go to the, uh, the proof fund planet range or the ordinary proof fund range. 
Great. So not like buying the organic apples compared to the uh, no, normal absolutely. And but, what about the fund managers? Is it the same or different fund managers? Um, it's different fund managers, so it's a, a very different mantra, which is actually uh, within the uh, the range itself. Um, albeit, we do still have uh, sort of the people who are looking at the fund, i.e., managing it, working out where the asset allocation is, are the same. So they're providing an over uh, overlay, uh, but in terms of where the money's going to, it's a a, a very different position. Um, but you, you do sort of highlight me when you talk about charges there, which I think is one interesting point I probably should have mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, we talked about the cost of sustainable living. Well, clearly, if we're talking about sustainable investing, if you can do that at a similar sort of price, that's something you can do without actually making that sort of financial commitment or as much of a financial commitment as we spoke about. Do you have any information to hand? I know it's a very new fund, but do you have any information to hand as to what the underlying investments may be in these planet funds. Yeah, so um, there's uh, obviously a whole host of investments. So um, in the planet funds themselves, you know, there's a, a very broad range of different asset classes and investments within it. Um, obviously, that key because you know we want to make sure the uh, the fund is diversified. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples, though, Josh. So I mean, it'd be easy to sort of talk about something where uh, there's sustainable investment because you know we're looking at producing sustainable energy, and it's certainly got companies in there that do that. It'd be easy to talk about um, maybe some of the health companies we invest in who are doing research into things like uh, you know trying to find a cure for diabetes, that type of thing. But um, a couple of specific examples just to sort of give you a flavour uh, that are held within the fund is a, a company called Brambles. Uh, and that's a little bit off the wall. But what they basically do is they, they've got the largest uh, pool of reusable pallets, containers and crates. Um, and what they're effectively doing is by sort of like moving those from one client to another, that's really helping to sort of cut down and having to create new versions of all these things every time. So slightly sort of different one that's a little bit off the wall. Uh, and again, another one, I guess, is um, a company called The Gym Group. And, you know, you may well ask, well, what's The Gym Group sort of like, you know, they're obviously a, a company which is promoting affordable exercise. And, you know, why are they uh, in the portfolio for? Well, the, the key here is that, you know, clearly we need to get, uh, you know, more physical activity. We need to get people sort of eating the right things. We need to get uh, less obese people in society. Uh, and they sort of have a stated objective, if you like, of helping sort of like people across the income spectrum. So, you know, a lot of their gyms are in actually areas that are, are, are relatively poor um, and they have a high sort of amount of clients, if you like, who are in low income groups. So again, a slightly different example, but one we're, we're really behind. And so when we're talking about companies like these and sustainability, how far are you going with that theme? Is it just what the company's doing or is there an overlap with governance? Like, how engaged are you with what the behaviour of these companies and I don't know, their supply chains or how much they're being paid, that sort of thing? Well, there's uh, there, there's a real overlap. It's a great question again, Mark, because um, you know you, we're not just going out and saying um, – you know, we're investing in these funds because they have got a sustainable basis or they're doing lots of different things for society. Um, across the board, and, you know, this is not just in the, the planet range, 
intelligence across all of us uh, with the owners of the, the businesses we're investing in to see if we can help them to sort of move to a more sustainable basis. You know, and as investors, you can apply that pressure to people. So, you know, a, a, a very simple example of something that my wife says to me all the time is, well, you know, I buy things when they're delivered, they come in absolutely loads of packaging. Yeah. Well, is it all necessary? I mean, that, you know, it's a sort of thing that, you know, we can engage with companies on and, and try and help them and steer them in the right direction for the greater good. What about negative stuff? Have you, do you release information on board votes where, where you've voted against specific issues or has it written letters to push for change or anything? We, we, we do uh, obviously a lot of negotiations behind the scenes and we don't tend to sort of publicise that and quite often we're unable to. So, you know, everyone is subject to uh, non-disclosure agreements. Uh, you know, it's uh, conversations that aren't necessarily sort of formalised, but we certainly are doing it behind the scenes and encouraging people to, to make the right investments. Let's put it that way. Okay. And uh, what about uh, Prudential as a company? Like, if, if I'm a member of staff now, what, what changes have I seen to move towards more sustainability? So, um, quite an interesting one, this one, because, you know, we've, we've seen a, a whole host of things um, that have been taking place over the, uh, over the course of the last 18 months. It's really sort of changed the way we think about things. So, uh, you know, a very simple one is working from home. So, we've encouraged people to work from home, obviously during COVID, but clearly we're also a company that's now saying, as many are in fairness, uh, that maybe, you know, you don't need to be in the office all the time and very much giving um, employees some choice as to whether they do come into the office or not. And, you know, at the end of the day, if someone's, let's say, is uh, working from home two or three days a week and in the office two or three days a week, that can really help cut down on carbon footprint. So I think that's a good example of something simple to be done. Um, I guess another one is using renewable energy energy in all of our offices. Um, again, that can really help to, to sort of cut down on your, your carbon footprint. Um, uh, dealing with our suppliers uh, and just helping them or speaking to them, you know, about reducing their carbon emissions. Again, that can make a difference. So, you know, as a company, we're basically trying to lead from the front rather than just sort of like speaking to the, uh, you know, the companies we're investing in and, and trying to make a difference that way. It, it's a, a real balance. Mm. I mean, I know some companies where they've changed to a cheaper version of toilet paper or got rid of all the, the cups? Have you gone that extreme? Down on things like uh, cups and that. And in, in fairness, um, you know, even the last time that uh, I was in the office, which in fairness, the, the main office was, was before the, the pandemic, you know, we had moved to a process where we were sort of using mugs rather than paper cups, for example. So, you know, all these things may sound small, but it really is the collective uh, that can make a difference, I think. Mark, have you cut down on toilet paper uh, only when there's been shortages so <laughs> <laughs> when I've been forced to yeah what about if it's recycled toilet paper though is that okay I think, I think that's alright <laughs> let's not get too much into toilet paper um, we've got some um, quick fire questions now if you want unless Josh oh. is pressing questions no I'm happy with okay. the quick fire questions okay them. so um, shall I start you start. I haven't got them in front of me. I'll, so I'll you do, start. I'll do well. um, what is the best advice you have been given about money? Uh, okay. Well, I can remember my father saying something to me um, uh, to quote uh, Freddie Mercury when I was just a skinny lad, which um, was some time ago. Uh, but he said to me, "A fool and his money are easily parted." Um, 
And it wasn't until recently, actually, I found out that sort of phrase is, is almost 500 years old. So uh, that's been pretty sort of sage advice for a long period of time. Uh, the only thing I would sort of add to it is um, uh, you don't need to be a fool to be parted with your money these days because some of the scams that are around are very believable. You know, I've seen ones that even I've had to sort of take a second look at. So um, if there was one bit of advice sort of uh, coming out of the question, I would say think very carefully if you're approached uh, and it's an unprompted approach, i.e. you haven't asked for it, you know, whether that's by means of phones or uh, emails or whatever. Um, if you've got sort of, if you see something which someone is purporting that it's too good to be true, it probably is. So just be aware of that. But yeah, that's probably the best bit of advice I've had. Sound advice. And uh, with that in mind, are you a saver or a spender? Uh, I think I would say I am a saver, um, albeit I would say that if you do spend money, um, I would suggest it's always better to maybe spend a bit more money to get something which you absolutely know can do the, the job rather than something, you know, going for the absolutely cheapest thing out there and then having to buy it again um, a few months later. So uh, I'm a saver, but with provisos, let's put it that way. Okay. And the final question is, what would you do if you won a lottery? Okay. Um, uh, I think I'm going to go for a three-stage answer, Mark. Okay. So the, the first thing I do is have a glass of something. And yeah. why wouldn't you? Sure. Uh, so that would be my celebration. Second thing I'd do is uh, I'd have a think about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life uh, in terms of my objectives. And the, the third thing I would do is I would go and see a financial advisor like Josh. because uh, Okay, very good. Uh, I, I think you do, you know, whoever is going to need sort of like advice on what to do if it's a, a, a huge amount of money. And in fact, actually, uh, most people would benefit from advice come what may and if they didn't win the lottery. But yeah, that, that'll be my uh, my three things. Be a pleasure to help. We'll book you in afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, Josh, I've not won the lottery, unfortunately. <laughs> nice idea that it is. <laughs> so yeah, that will be mine. Okay, well, I think that's all we have time for, but... Thank you very much. And, and where, where can people find out more about Prudential and its sustainability plans? Uh, so you can either go to the uh, PRU website or you can go to the uh, MNG PLC website. If you go to MNG PLC and just type in sustainability, uh, you'll find as much as you need to know in there. Uh, and you can also do the same just by Googling things like PRU Fund Planet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. penny.